You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, Partigan and Stapes invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome once again to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife, James Hardigan. Coming up happy, on this week's show. Happy Stress Awareness Day, Joe. Thank you. Can you oh, believe that's what we're doing from now on? That today, of all days, is Stress Awareness Day. I can't help but think that that's not a coincidence. I can't help but think that they did this deliberately, knowing that today was going to be a very stressful day for a lot of people. I don't know if you... Um, by the way, something's big happening in the news. We're not going to talk about what it is. But, uh, James, on the news channels... I don't know if you saw who like the main sponsors were, but the Calm app, antidepressants. It was funny. I don't know how to describe it. Yes, yeah. I'm well aware of my stress today. Yeah, I, I think it's worth saying that at the time of recording, we still don't know. And there's a very good chance at the time of listening to this podcast, hey, there's an outside chance at the time we record the next podcast, we're still not going to know. And for that, and for a multitude of other reasons, we're just going to stay clear of the subject. That's right. So coming up on this week's show in Pokerland, where nothing else is happening, EPT Retro is back. Season 7 of the EPT, which is pretty dang close to when we come full circle on this thing. That's what we're covering from here on out. Uh, but the big news everyone is waiting on, I'm sure, in our little poker bubble is, how am I, Joe Stapleton, Running, have I broken the curse? Is the horrible streak continuing? You will have to wait. Wow, the tension is almost bearable, Joe. <laughs> Nobody cares. Uh, this week's guest is super interesting, actually. A great find here from James Hardigan and the blog team. He is an award-winning storyteller who can helpfully give me some new ideas <laughs> on how to slip bad beat stories into casual conversation, or at the very least, uh, how to tell one well enough that people don't immediately tune me out. Because I think um, we've been losing some listeners. His name is Matthew Dix, and he's even done a TED Talk. Here's what I don't understand. So many people love that Seth MacFarlane movie. It's just crazy how often I hear people <laughs> talking about it. Oh, Ted. Here's the weird thing. I'm actually a huge Seth MacFarlane fan, but yeah. pretty much every movie he's made is terrible. I hated his Western comedy. I didn't like Ted. Um, yeah, I don't know why people are fans of that, and I can't believe a sequel got made. I should say, by the way, two things. First of all, really, really interested to talk to Matthew. Secondly, I have to give full credit to the blog team on this one. This is Stephen Bartley's discovery. and. Nice. The piece that Matthew wrote for the blog is fantastic. We will discuss it in more detail later in the show, but I would recommend reading that in full before listening to that interview on this podcast. I read it. It only takes like 10 minutes. It's not like doing a whole book. Trust me, it's worth it. Uh, and for this week's Super Fan versus Stapes, uh, yeah, Stapes, hello. Uh, we're talking Greek and Roman mythology with a fellow named Tom Quinlan from Lincoln. Indeed. Nebraska? We are no. I believe he's from the United Kingdom. There's a Lincoln in the United Kingdom? Most of the place names in America are stolen from Europe, <laughs> Joe, just in case it wasn't on your radar. Uh stolen. How about revolutioned? Okay, never mind. Let's not talk about that. Yeah, how's um, it working out for you? 
you know what? Can I come back? <laughs> uh, which movies did my girlfriend fall asleep during this week? I know the answer uh, to this one. All of them. Yes, but we didn't watch all of the movies. We we you know what was weird? It was uh, it was Halloween, and for some reason on Halloween, we decided to watch Alien. Is that weird? No, I think people are meant to watch horror movies on Halloween, and I think Alien firmly falls into the horror genre. Yeah. So we were. She was. What I love about her is that she's very excited to watch Alien. But I will say, and it's not exactly her fault. You know, she fell asleep during this one. I'd say in the first half hour before the thing happens, right? Before like the main thing happens, she fell asleep. And she's Just to like, be clear, Joe, we're talking about a movie that was made in 1979. I think we can discuss the thing. You're right. talking about the scene with John Hurt and the chestburster, right? Well, before the even before the thing even jumps out, the face hugger even comes out of the egg. Like right, right before that is when I noticed she was asleep. And I will say that, not to say this is a bad thing, the movie is very slow and indulgent up until that point. And what I tried to explain to her was like, other than. St- Star Wars, which I think was around, and like really bad sci-fi. No one had done like really good, beautiful, artistic sci-fi before. I and so agree, all but of I these also think that long shots is, of computers were yeah, actually it, pretty mesmerizing, right? They the were time. mesmerizing, but also I think yeah. indulgent is an is an unfair word to use. Sorry, I think okay. you also have to establish the lives of these people, right? The, the monotony. Yes. Of manning this ship, going out on this mission, the coming back, of space. being being woken up early because they got to check out this thing and arguing about who's going to get a share, etc. The kind of the workers complaining to management, etc. That's all part of the setup for what happens next. Yes, I agree, and I think that had she not been so tired, that maybe uh, she would have appreciated. It also, we will go back to Alien. We rewatched uh, Ronnie Chang, Asian comedian, destroys America. You watched so this one, good. right? So good, yeah. I think it's probably my favorite special of last year. I just want to reiterate that. And we started Fargo season four, which I have to say is fucking wonderful. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed the first season and I still have not watched beyond that first season of Fargo. Oh, for me, like a lot of people don't agree. I think every season gets better. Right. And this one is incredible. This one is about, it takes place in 1950 and is about uh, warring black and Italian gangs uh, battling for Kansas City territory. Um, I shouldn't say gangs. I should say like organized crime, mafia. Uh, And it is really fun. And I just last night got to the first full episode with Timothy Oliphant. And I mean, look, it doesn't get much better than that. Take a show I already love and put an actor that I have loved in literally everything he's ever done. Really enjoying it so far. Thank you for segueing perfectly <laughs> into what I was going to talk about, which is that The Mandalorian is back with Timothy Oliphant playing the sheriff of a town on Tatooine, which oh, is, sick. again, just a wonderful nod That's towards... So sick. 
the Western genre, which very much permeates The Mandalorian. I've now reached the conclusion, and I think we may have said this before, Joe, when we discussed season one at the start of this year, it's probably the best thing that Disney have done with Star Wars, along with Rogue One. And it's a nerd's dream. It's delightful. There's a great reveal at the end of the first episode. Not going to spoil it for you. Uh, It is frustrating that new episodes come out weekly. It's like living in the 1980s, 90s again. But I'll take it. Because it's it's such a good show, show, though, right? Yeah, It is. And it still blows my mind, having watched the Star Wars Galleries documentary series, that none of this... None of this is shot on location, that it's all taking place inside this giant VR garage where they're using real screens rather than green screens and employing the same technology that's used in video games to make sure that you provide the right perspective whichever way the camera is facing. Wait, wait, wait. None of it's shot outdoors? No. Really? Joe, you have to watch the documentary about how they shoot this. You know I hate learning things. It's... To say none of it is shot outdoors is a lie, but it's not, they don't go on location. Exteriors are on the studio back lot with enhanced green screen imagery, but a huge percentage of it, including scenes that you would be thinking must be out in the desert, are not. Oh, that's so sick. Um, Fargo also is coming out week to week. It was supposed to come out mid, you know, like basically is planned to come out in April. Yeah. Didn't get released because of pandemic. And now that's also being released week to week. I will um, make sure I catch up on Mandalorian so we can talk a little bit more about it next time. Uh, I should say, by the way, that even though Mandalorian's back, Nailed It is my new favorite TV what show is that? on Netflix. It's the one where people bake really bad cakes. It's awesome. Check it out. Uh, but I am still... <laughs> I am still playing Witcher 3 and I've come to the conclusion that there is so much going on in this game that I will probably still be playing it when the Xbox Series Z and the PS6 come out in five years' time. Is it it, not repetitive yet? It is a little bit. And now I understand why a lot of people don't finish the game. I also understand why for the next game from the studio, Cyberpunk 2077, which is coming out in December. Oh, that's them. They've said it will be shorter because they realize they overdid it with Witcher 3. I mean, we've referenced this before. It's Griffin Benger's favorite video game of all time. He estimates there's about 185 hours of story in this game. I'm going to take the over on that. <laughs> oh, the, my God. Too many cutscenes, far, far too many cutscenes and overlong cutscenes. But it's still very so enjoyable. So this just isn't you doing like a million side missions and delaying it. This is like the... Like, like a relatively straightforward playthrough? No, no. That's 185 hours of gameplay, I should say. That includes okay. all of the side quests, treasure hunts, Witcher contracts, and Collecting all the rest plants. of it. But it's... I, I feel embarrassed in a way because I praised Red Dead Redemption 2 to high heaven when that came out a couple of years ago. And it, it yeah. the Witcher probably set the standard, raised the bar before then. And... I have to give credit because, as I said before, I, I still prefer visually Red Dead Redemption 2. I prefer the story and I prefer the, 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 the world it's set in. But yeah. this is just just, just unbelievable. Um, of course, our lives are kind of on hold for the next few days because we're back with streams. As Joe referenced at the top of the show, we've got EPT Retro going on right now, which is the prelude. It's the warm-up act for EPT Online. And I know because so many of you have been messaging us that you're very excited about 
the fact that there is an online version of the EPT. And I think for most of the people, Joe, who listen to this podcast and watch our live streams, the fact that there's a mini version of it, I think is particularly exciting that there are affordable versions of all of the big buy-in games running kind of alongside. Of course, when it comes to the streaming of EPT Online, we will be focused on those big buy-in events. Um, For those of you who are interested, the streams are going to start next week. Wednesday, that's the 11th of November, and we're basically streaming Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then the following Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So it's six streams. We're going to do the final table of the 10K High Roller. We're going to do the final table of the 1K Arena Championship. We're going to do the final table of the 25K Super High Roller. And then, saving what I think will be the best until last, three consecutive days of main event coverage. The Bubble Day, which is the Monday playing down to the final table on the penultimate day, that's Tuesday the 17th, and then the final table of the main event, the 5K main event, on Wednesday the 18th. If you watch Stadium Series, if you watch WCOOP, I think you know what to expect. We're getting the band back together. Griffin Benger, Sam Grafton, Maria Ho, Nick Walsh, are all going to be providing analysis. We're going to have the usual fun. And, yeah, I'm excited to do something that is under the EPT umbrella. And... As we referenced when we were streaming last night, Joe, this is something which had been talked about before live events were suspended. The idea of having an online EPT during a season of live EPTs has been touted for many years now. It's finally happening and we'll see how big a success it is. For obvious reasons, I think this will be bigger than it would have been otherwise. But uh, yeah, excited to be streaming that. But before that, we're streaming old EPTs right now. Yes, um, it's kind of weird now that we're getting to the point where I recognize more and more people, uh, but seeing them before I knew them. Like, for example, we're covering London right now, and I think I might have met Liv at that point, Liv Bury. I think I did one interview with her. She was a guest on my podcast a very long time ago. But seeing like, oh, this is someone I eventually became very good friends with. But before I knew them, and there's like a bunch of people in the mix like that, it's kind of a weird feeling. Yeah, I I imagine so. should point out, by the way, that even though by the point you're listening to this podcast, we'll probably have hosted two or three streams at the time of recording, we've only done one. We've covered London. Later on today, we're going to be streaming Barcelona. And London was the funky one. And we had a bit of a laugh about the fact that there was this huge narrative gap where you get to the end of the day ones. And then we don't find out what happened on days two, three and four. We fast forward to the final table on, on day five, which was a bit strange. But I think it was a nice combination of seeing some of the big names and some of the more interesting hands through the early levels. And then that great final table with that epic heads-up battle between John Juanda and David Van Plew, where Juanda got very unlucky to lose the title and the trophy. Of course, we know he became an EPT winner a few years later. I do want to highlight one guy who we saw yesterday, though, Joe, and... I don't think we really made enough of this. There was a player on Daniel Negreanu's table, which was day 1B of the EPT London main event from 2010 called Christopher Chow. And Christopher Chow made three ridiculously tight laydowns in a row. I say in a row, we know it's condensed for TV, but still, nonetheless, made three huge laydowns. And I think the first one... 
are we going to go through them one by one? Yeah, because I think the first okay. one, the first one I don't think is 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 massive, right? The guy has um, top pair in a flush draw on the flop, improves to two pair on the turn, Bricks River. And his opponent has flopped a straight and he folds to the bet on the river. And I get that, right? Because two pair doesn't look great on that straighty board at the end. It's not as solid a hand as you'd have liked. You could argue that it's it's a tight tight laydown, but it's an understandable laydown. And that a correct laydown in that case. And correct. All of his laydowns are correct, but that one aside, how the hell you fold trip jacks to Dario Minieri? How the hell correct. you fold pocket kings pre-flop to Dario Minieri? And that's an incorrect fold, by the way, because Minieri yes. had the same hand. So that that to me defies belief. But also to make those laydowns, to play that tight, that conservatively, that cautiously, and then go broke having flopped a pair and lose to two pair, it just seems so weird. Story did not check out. You, you knew it was going to happen. Now, I had not seen this footage before, but I've seen this archetype. It's weird that what kind of information you soak in having watched as much poker as you and I have. And I don't always know the right rationale for things or the GTO thing because I don't I can't make those connections. But what I can do is kind of my gut tells me and I knew it. I said, as soon as I saw him make that second lay down where he laid down the trip jacks against one of the most notoriously wild players of all time correctly, he's out kicked, lays down trips, then lays down kings. I was like, I promise you that when this guy goes broke, it's going to be in a spot where you're like, what the hell? Is this the same guy? It yeah. just always seems like people make t- tight laydowns, tight laydowns, and then they punt. Yeah. Like, that's just a, an absolute punt. And I don't know. I guess if I was going to um, be complimentary, if I was going to look at it in the best possible light, it would be this person's making reads. This person's relying way too much on their reads and probably folding in spots where they shouldn't and then jamming in spots where they should. And he just made one bad read out of four would be the nicest way I could put it. The, the, the worst way to put it is he was a broken clock. That was right. Three times a day and wrong only <laughs> once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, as it was when we did the, main series of EPT Retro back in the spring summer. It's awesome to go back and revisit these shows and we're going to be doing it for a few more days. So if you haven't caught onto this already, EPT Retro is streaming every weekday at 6.30 p.m. UK time. That's 7.30 p.m. Central European time. And it's going to segue straight into EPT Online next Wednesday, the 11th. We're going to record our next podcast on Thursday the 12th, even though we will be into EPT online at that point. I do like the idea of reflecting on this run of what will be the final run of EPT Retro. We're not going to go beyond the end of Season 7 of the European Poker Tour. It would be nice if we could pinpoint a guest. You said last night, Joe, that you politely asked John Juanda and he politely declined. But maybe there's someone else who we see in the coming days, in the coming shows, across the coming events, who we could ask to come on. Because I think it would be a nice way to close out our retrospective look at the early seasons of the European Poker Tour by speaking to one of the players from those 
events. So yeah, EPT Retro continues for the next few days. EPT Online starts next week. We've got more streams in the pipeline as well, which we'll talk about in coming weeks. But right now, it's time to introduce this week's guest. Poker in the ears. Well, we are thrilled to be joined on the show by multi-award-winning storyteller and the latest contributor to the PokerStars blog, Matthew Dix. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, before we get into the article that you've written for the blog, let's get, in an abbreviated form, your life story. I'm interested in your background He's as a, a writer. He's a storyteller. The life story is going to be great. Don't of abbreviate course. him. Of course. I don't <laughs> he wanna, knows no, exactly please. the length to make it. Please take as much time as you want. I, I'm, I'm particularly <laughs> interested in how one becomes an expert in storytelling. Well, I was an author first, so I'm a novelist, and I write columns for magazines. And eventually my friends, they discovered this thing called The Moth, which takes place in New York at the time. Now it's all over the world. It's sort of the granddaddy of personal storytelling. And there was a podcast. My friends were listening to it. They said, you should listen to this. They said, you've had the worst life of anyone we know, so you probably have some good <laughs> stories to tell. It's not a nice thing to say about your friend. Uh, but they challenged me to go to New York and tell a story. And my plan was to go to New York, stand on a stage, tell one story, check it off the bucket list and be done. Uh, but when I went and I discovered what it was, I tried to back out at first because I was terrified. You know, there was 200 hipsters in a New York City club. And I thought, what am I doing here? But I took the stage and I told a story and I loved it and I won and I'm highly competitive. So whenever I can sort of have an objective determination of whether I was good or not. I, I really love that. It's why I love poker. You know, there's an objective determination as to whether you played well or not. And so I sort of embraced it with everything I had. And, you know, now I tell stories all over the world, but that was 10 years ago. So it's taken a little bit of time to, to learn and to grow and that's how I get to where I am now. In in the form of moth storytelling or storytelling that is closest to stand-up comedy, how far away is it from stand-up comedy? It sort of depends on the person to a certain degree. I do stand-up comedy as well. And so I try to stand exactly in the middle. You know, I try to tell a story that's going to make you laugh until the moment it makes you cry. Something you couldn't quite get away with as a stand-up comic and something you couldn't quite get away with as a storyteller either if you were purely one or the other. Yeah, that's that's about exactly right. You know, I, when I'm doing stand-up, I better be getting three laughs a minute and maybe six. And in storytelling, I can go two minutes without getting a laugh, and nobody yeah. cares. Now, I've no, I know that the moth has is very famous now, right? It's a very hip thing to do. It's something celebrities are involved in. Who are some of the more notorious judges who have enjoyed your storytelling? Well, the great thing about the moth is none of the judges are sort of notorious because they're all taken right from the audience. There's oh, okay. Three, Sorry, it's not celebrity judges. I've no, I no. It's three teams of judges. There has to be at least two people on a team, and they they have to have attended a moth before, so they sort of get it. But it's pretty it's pretty objective. I mean, there are certainly nights when I think I should have won, but even when I don't win, sort of the second or third best story always wins. So that so they're doing a good job. You know, you can listen to ten stories and you can tell which are the two or three best of the night, and that tends to be the two or three best that win. What's something when you're at at a moth? competition that makes you roll your eyes about like when you're like oh get this this girl this many person. things uh the thing that makes me probably roll my eyes first is when they open their stories with platitudes they'll say things like there are two kinds of people in the world there are people who do this and, and i'm like that's not a story 
Like you, it's oftentimes something they're saying. Webster's the Dictionary defines. <laughs> yes, exactly. That nonsense that's forgotten by the end of the story. It's not the important thing of the story. And yet people feel they need to do it. It makes me nuts. So the interesting thing here, Matthew, is that Stephen Bartley of the Pokestars blog was a huge fan of your work and had was a, had read so much of your writings, had seen your TED Talk. So he approached you to write something for the blog, not knowing if you even had played a hand of poker. And it was just one of those happy coincidences that he discovered, oh, he's one of us, because <laughs> you were quite a serious poker player going back about 10 years. I was. I was playing online uh, on PokerStars and... You know, when it got shut down, you know, to the degree it did here in the United States, yeah. I just did a cost-benefit analysis of do I do I look to continue to play poker in a way that's going to be more challenging, or do I invest the time in writing? And writing made more sense. I was more profitable per minute, essentially, as a writer than I was as a poker player. So, you know, I used to play a lot of poker, and now I play, sadly, a little bit of poker. As often as I can, I play it. But I'll tell you, if it got back online, you know, if um, poker stars launched again nationwide in the United States, which I hope it does someday, uh, I will certainly be playing a lot more. Do you know A.R. Moxon? Because he used to play a ton of poker and went on to be a uh, a, a thought leader on Twitter and now wrote uh, a novel last year that I, I, I mean, I just was like, oh, it's amazing that for a few people like yourself, online poker went away and it kind of freed up some time to, yeah. <laughs> to actually become good at other things. It did. Yeah. No, I don't know him, but it, it is true. I'm, on my wedding night, my, my father-in-law actually asked my wife, does Matt have a gambling problem? And my wife's response was, first of all, it's not a problem because he paid for our entire honeymoon on poker winnings and poker is not gambling. I now understand that. That's what she told my father-in-law. So so yeah, it was a big part of my life for a long period of time, and I would not object to having it become a big part again at some time. So going into this and writing a piece about bad beat stories, you were clearly very familiar with the concept and have probably heard <laughs> more than enough to fill a lifetime. Yeah, there was a lot of eye rolling on my end with bad beat stories there. You know, <laughs> everyone has them. So you know, it's, unless it's a good one, unless you know how to tell it, it it's really sort of reporting on dinner. You know, everyone has dinner every night. You don't want to hear about it. Everyone has a bad beat. You don't want to hear about it unless there's actually a story behind it. That's a great analogy, like pictures of food on Instagram, right? Like it's pretty yeah. tough to have like a really interesting one. I have to say this article was like uh, a tough read for me because not that it wasn't well written in that I was like it me like it really hit home. Now, I do think I'm in a unique position where um, I'm experiencing. Uh, the number one thing that applied to me about this article where you were like, if you have six bad beat stories, that's too many. I don't think there's any way for me to have any fewer than 600 bad beat stories <laughs> because it's my job to report on my poker and I never win at poker. Uh. Well, I think to set the scene here, Matthew, Joe is going through a particularly bad run and feels the need to share every single hand history. And right now, every single hand history seems to involve some form of bad beat. This is why you writing this article was the perfect storm for us, because if anyone needs help or an intervention just to say, stop, don't do it anymore, it's with Joe. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking at a hand history. If, if you're doing it not to be entertaining, which is why we tell stories, but to analyze, to talk about your play, to be vulnerable and admit where you're making mistakes. I mean, if you're going through a bad run, I mean, 
I hate to tell you, but it, it probably has something to do with you as much as it has to do with oh. the cards. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I mean, that's just the truth, right? <laughs> like, we all know that if it's a long, bad run, you know, you have a part in that. <laughs> That is the truth true. hurts, Joe. I, I mean, the, I, the reason hurts. I just got quiet there for a second because I was just about to launch into three bad beat stories, and I just <laughs> thought better of it. Uh huh. Well, you, you know, as long as they're entertaining, and there's certain things that stories need that are, you know, that are required in order to be entertaining, and and chip counts, and uh, you know, flushes versus full houses, those are not entertaining things. Because if you're a poker player, you've had a million of them, so we, you know, we don't want to hear about those. Yeah. I mean, I will say Joe's stories can be entertaining because schadenfreude is a huge thing and everyone loves to see Joe in pain. So we do enjoy, to a certain degree, hearing about his suffering. But clearly, you know, in this article, I mean, you're talking about how to tell any story, not just a bad beat story and the importance of putting human beings at the center of it. The concept yeah. of change. I mean, the, the, the lessons you're teaching here apply to telling any form of story. Absolutely. Yes. You know, in the end, whether you're going to tell a story about the poker table or work or, you know, a date you went on, you do need certain things. It can't just be, you know, what happened at that time. There needs to be some stakes. There needs to be things that people care about. And, you know, unless I'm your mother, I don't care how many chips you have at the end of the day. That's not relevant to me. But if you have something to say about, you know, yourself as a human being, your dignity, your your reputation, you know, the way you feel about someone else. Those are things that I can relate to because I have those kinds of things going on in my life all the time. And that's how we connect. I think that the biggest takeaway that can be applied to other stories besides bad speed stories for me was that we often lead our stories in life with the ending, Yeah, which is, you know, so when you say bad, here's a bad beat story, your story's fucked already. Yes, you know? it is. Yeah, it, you've already killed it because nobody wants to hear it. I mean, the the most precious thing in any story is surprise. When you can surprise your audience, it really is the best. It's why The Sixth Sense is a movie we always think about. Because when you find out he's dead at the end, it's just incredible. And it's a feeling you never forget. So if you open your story with, here's my bad beat, you've essentially told the story already. It's, you know, the cards and the chips may vary depending on the story, but you've already ruined it. Whereas if you say, let me tell you something that happened at the poker table yesterday, now I'm sort of wondering. Now you've captured my interest because I don't know the direction the story is going to go. And when I don't know, now you've engaged me. Yeah. I mean, Joe and I are both huge movie nerds and we spend far too much time on this podcast talking about popular culture. So we were both thrilled with many of the film references in this article. I'm particularly happy that you highlighted Die Hard because I think it is such a great piece of storytelling. I completely agree with you about the importance of Alan Rickman's character as well as Bruce Willis's character. Other favorite films as someone who appreciates a good story? You know, this is going to sound like a weird one, but my favorite stories are the ones that hide in movies that you don't quite see them right away. So Jurassic Park, for example, you know, that is a movie that theoretically is about dinosaurs. But really, if you watch it again, you'll discover it's the story of a man who can't be with the woman he loves because the woman wants to have kids and he doesn't. And so conveniently, he is thrown into a park full of dinosaurs where he has to keep two kids alive. And if you track that movie as it goes along, you watch a guy who thinks that kids are ugly and gross and disgusting. And throughout the movie, you see him getting physically and emotionally closer to those kids throughout the entire movie until the movie really culminates in a tree when he's holding the two kids and they're going to sleep in his arms. They're as close as an adult can get to a kid. 
And he tells them, I'm going to stay up all night and protect you. And exactly the way a parent would tell a kid. So that's really what the story is about. That's why you leave that movie and you think, oh, that's a great movie. You almost don't see the fact that it touched your heart. You know, Spielberg knows that if I said, hey, Joe, you want to go see a movie with a guy who can't be with the woman he loves because she wants to have kids and he doesn't. And over the course of the movie, he's going to fundamentally understand the, the beauty of children. You'd never want to see it. But Spielberg, all of his movies, he hides these actual stories that touch our hearts in with aliens and dinosaurs and things yeah. like that. So you come for the dinosaurs and you leave feeling good about it. And that's all of his movies. I love those the best. I think, uh, hopefully you agree, uh, Stephen King is really great at that too. And that, you know, it's never just the monster they're fighting. They're fighting human things as well. Uh, they're fighting fear of their parents, fear of uh, fear of growing up. You know, I'm thinking about it specifically in this case. Um, those th that always, you know, the, the, the human beings are often just as, just as big a problems in those things besides the monsters. Yeah. I, you will never meet a bigger Stephen King fan than myself. And I could not agree more with you. The way that Stephen King can make ordinary characters in a story suddenly seem like the most important human beings in my life is, it's wonderful. And it's, it's that same thing that they're real people facing real problems. And by the way, there happens to be some strange thing trying to eat you while all of this is happening <laughs> <laughs> well i was gonna say james you know, i know james wanted to know this too speaking of real people yes is sweeney a real person yes he read and the today tell us tell us more about sweeney please <laughs> so sweeney's real name is feeney i got permission to use his name today because he read it he came up to me and said i can't believe what you wrote about me he goes i hate it because it's so correct so <laughs> He's just this guy with this enormous heart in this tiny brain. And so he wants to do good <laughs> in the world, but he just doesn't know how to do good. You know, he just sort of over publicizes himself. And he, he's under the belief that if you mention me on Twitter, I'm going to blow up, you know, and I, I say, just go make things that people want to see or hear or touch or engage in. That's the way that people will be drawn to you, but he's always looking to latch on to someone or latch on to something. You know, he's, he's trying to, he's just trying to ride every coattail he ever found rather than sort of making his own coattail. So I love him. He's a great guy, but you know, honestly, if I need someone to play golf with, I'll play by myself before I'll play with him. Cause he's just frustrating. <laughs> so he's a real guy and he's not very good at poker, but I'll tell you the night that he took me down, it just, you know, it's just you don't want to lose to somebody like that, especially when they don't know what they're doing and they're never going to forget it if they beat you. And that's what happened that night. That's what we all think of everyone we play poker against. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, part of the, the beauty of the Sweeney Feeney story is I have a personal relationship with him. I work with him. He's an elementary school teacher and so am I. So I see him all the time. So, you know, that bad beat story works on a lot of levels. One of it is I'm in the cafeteria today telling him, you know, about this piece and he read it and he's still giving me a hard time. You know, he's still like <laughs> cards for the cards. And I, I tried to explain to him, look, in the real world, actually, whatever you said the hand was should have been what the hand was. You know, the fact that someone came in and saved your ass, that would not have played at any other place except my home game where the, everyone wants to see me lose whenever possible. And, you know, he said, that's, you know, that's nonsense. I outplayed you. You know, it, it just it kills me. And I have to see him all the time. But I think what you've written here, Matthew, is not just about bad beat stories. It's about how you portray poker in general. 
it has to be about the people. It has to be about the characters. It has to be about the human stories. It can't just be about the mathematics of a hand, how many chips went in or whose stack went up and went down. And I think it's something that if I look at the best TV shows we've been involved in, and if I look at some of the best TV shows that have come out of America, like those old World Series shows in the mid-2000s, it was all about the personalities. Yeah. And it's all about crafting that story where you're following those personal conflicts or the evolution of a, of a particular person to use the cliche it's the story arcs that's what makes the game fascinating to people they think it's the technicalities of the game but it isn't yeah you're you're totally right i mean just imagine if chris moneymaker instead of him winning that year it had been some pro who had been playing for 25 years who already had four bracelets and he wins right nobody cares right chris moneymaker wins and we know his story we know how he tried to sell off his entry into that tournament, you know, because he, he wanted the cash instead of the chance to go to the WSOP. You know, Classic that's a maker. story. And even the look of him, you know, you look at him and you go, I know that guy. That guy sits at my table. He's not slick. His clothes aren't expensive. He's a schlub like He's me. barely literate. Right. <laughs> All of those things. That's what makes that story so great because of the characters in that story. And also the fact that the people at his final table, they weren't, you know, they were characters, too. There were Alan Rickmans at that table. There were yeah. really good guys that you wanted to see him take down. So that's why that happens. And that's why poker explodes, because people connect with Chris Moneymaker and they say, damn it, like, he's just like me. I could do that. And then suddenly, you know, you, you know what happened. It's the story. It's the characters. It's the bad guys. And that's what happened. I guess just one last question for me that um, that you, you kind of made me think of here as you bring up Chris Moneymaker. And you did touch on this sort of in the article as well. How important is it to name your characters? Because you were just like, oh, this name. Like, And I've noticed that I think that sometimes people take way too long to do it and put too much importance. But like, it, it does matter, doesn't it? Yeah, I always say that a signal in a story that a character is important is you give them a name. And then if you don't want someone to be important, if there's a character who's going to come in an audio story and you don't want your audience to get the sense they're going to be meaningful, you don't give them a name. So as soon as you find the person that means something in a story, you better name them. And if it's not a regular name, you can just give them a name that applies to them. You know, I could have I could have called him Coattails Man, you know, and and that would have been fine. The whole story could have been Coattails Guy versus me, and that would have worked just as fine. But yeah, you got to give people names. We have to have we have to feel like we know them. You know, it's Hans Gruber, right? You've watched Die Hard, and you know the name of that bad guy. There's a yeah. lot of movies that you don't know the name of the bad guy because he doesn't matter because he's not been made into a real character. But the ones that we care about, the ones we get attached to, we know their names, and you got to name them. I can't name the bad guy from Die Hard 4. <laughs> no, nor should you. Timothy <laughs> Olyphant. Yeah, right. No, I know it's <laughs> Big Teeth Olyphant. I just can't name the character's name because he's pretty forgettable. Right, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of the old movie, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Commando. Remember that movie? Yes. Oh, James knows he that one. He shoots like 90 people, and nobody cares about any of the 90 people, you know, because they're all unnamed, they're all irrelevant, and you know none of them are going to kill him, right? The only guy who's capable of killing him is that one guy who we don't have a name for, right? I, I, I no, know James his name. knows the name. I know his name. The villain in Commando is Bennett, and I know that because when he throws the big pipe into him at the end, he says, let off some steam, Bennett. Yeah, you're and right. It is Bennett. It is Bennett. And, and I yeah. love the fact that you brought up Commando because, of course, that was the original concept for Die Hard. It was meant to be a sequel to Commando. John McClane was going to be John Matrix. I did not know that. That is fascinating. I can't. That was just a. That was the universe bringing those two movies in my head together for some reason. Absolutely. Uh, That's great. I believe 
that Mr. Stapleton has prepared a quick quiz for you. A quick, yes. stupid game based around pop culture, based around stories. That's right. Tradition on this show. The points mean nothing. Winning means nothing. Losing means nothing. But it, we have a bit of fun here. Uh, it's a bespoke game created just for you, Matthew Dix. This week's game is called What's the Story? It is a trivia game about stories. I'm going to give you a clue. You tell me what the story is. All answers have the word story or stories in them. Okay. Clue number one. Question number one. Somehow they made four of these stories about a dumb kid in a box of plastic he's tired of. <laughs> I see you know what it is already. A dumb kid. Oh, is it? It's Toy Story. Toy Story is correct. One for one. <laughs> Joe hates Pixar movies because he doesn't have a soul. <laughs> I don't hate all of them. Just They're a lot of them. They're good for storytelling. They're very good for storytelling. Deconstructing story-wise. They're very well-crafted in terms of stories. So I've heard. Uh, question number two. This story comes in at a disappointing one hour and 47 minutes. The never-ending story. The never-ending story is correct. Two for two. I have high wow. hopes for you, Matthew Dixon. I can't believe I got that one. <laughs> question number three. This is the story of Adam Driver punching a wall. <laughs> Adam Driver punching a wall? Well, it's not girls. And it's not any of the Star Wars movies. Oh, I know. What, I, oh, what is that name of that? <sighs> Available on Netflix. I can see it. I don't know it. What is it? I'll give you the chance to Hector a Hardigan for a lifeline. A what? You can you can Hector a Hardigan. Ask James Hardigan for help. Oh, Hector a Hardigan. All right, yeah, give me some help. Is it? It's is it like? Is it American? It's not American. Story. Marriage story. Marriage story. I knew marriage story. I'm gonna count it. That. Three for three. All right. Uh, question number four. Social distortion wants you to know that this story, in this story, life goes by so fast. You only want to do what you think is right. Close your eyes, and it's past. What is this the story of? So, so we're talking about a time travel situation here. Um, Life goes by so fast. You only want to do what you think is right. Close your eyes and it's past. This is a sitcom that I've never watched before. Social Distortion, it? punk band. I've never heard of them either. Don't worry. I don't know what it is. Tell me. All right, we're going to lay you off the hook on that one. Story of My Life was the name of that song from Social oh. Distortion. Oh, from Social Distortion. Oh, I see. My wife could have gotten it. She um, she only knows music. Ah, she doesn't she know anything because she has every lyric of every song in her head, so she can't remember anything else. I'm, a, I, I'm terrible <laughs> with lyrics. I would have missed that one myself. Question number five. This story stars Max von Sydow as Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, well, it's... Um, <laughs> it, it's... Uh, it's it's not the passion of the Christ. It's um, it is no. No, no, no I'm that. saying you're on the right track. Yeah, it's um, but it has to have story in the title. Oh, right, the story of the story of Jesus. The Jesus, what is it? I don't it, know. No wonder you don't know because you don't like competition. This is the greatest story ever told. Oh, the greatest story ever told. You know, I've never seen it. I've never Question seen number six is another much. music one. I figured these would be from your generation. We'll try it. I won't twist you in the wind too long. The second studio album by the rock band Oasis was this story. I, I'm a wedding DJ. I used to play Oasis at weddings. They had the, the second album was it was blue. It has a blue cover on it, and it has the word story in it. Is it love story? 
It is not Love Story. It is oh. What's the Story, Morning Glory. Oh, you know what? Love Story is Tesla. <laughs> wow. So, you know, you know some music. Yeah, I do. I do. I know music. Yeah. And finally, one for the woke 2020 crowd. History considered or presented from a feminist viewpoint or with special attention to the experience of women is called. Say that one more time, because my wife's going to kill me if I don't get this one. History. Yeah. Considered History. or presented from a fem. There it is. We right. got it. <laughs> OK. <laughs> Her story. Very well done. Most of them correct. Matthew Dix, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was truly an honor. It was was a lot of fun. (laughs) Appreciate your time, Matthew. Thank you very much for talking to us today. Thanks. Take care. Superfan versus Stakes. Time to welcome this week's Superfan to the Poker in the Ears podcast. Say hello to Tom Quinlan. Hello, Tom. Hi, James. I feel like I don't... um like my chances already tom looks like zeus and his name is also kind of like the mighty quinn who is a quite a famous greek actor right anthony quinn uh i I guess Uh, tom tell us about yourself i'm detecting the english accent i am feeling very outbearded today by the way that's for sure uh but what is your story what is your deal bro uh, so yeah, I, I am English, uh, but I actually live up in Scotland with my wife and my daughter. Um, um, I am a, a visual artist. I have a studio in uh, a nearby town called Elgin, um, and I sit in there most days, create artwork, and hopefully people come along and buy it. That is so cool. When when you say they come along and buy it, are you creating artwork for companies or for individuals who need logos, or you're just like putting things on a canvas and you want people to buy it hanging on the wall? Um, so I've, I've only been doing it a year or so. Um, I'm currently doing sort of private commissions uh, for people when they walk into the studio. Um, I would like to do more commercial work, uh, but you know, it's, um, I, I had to kind of uh, grow the business and, and sort of establish myself and hopefully that'll come. Man, that's awesome. Now, we've seen an interesting influx of people who are new to the world of poker in the last few months, Tom. Are you one of those, or have you been with us in the background for many, many years? Uh, not many years. I've, um, I've been following you guys uh, for, uh, for a couple of years, I'd say. Um, I've actually been playing poker myself for uh, quite a long time. Um, but I discovered uh, PokerStars. Uh, I, I sort of came upon some EPT coverage on the TV. And, and then there was just like a, a rabbit hole of um, <laughs> sort of poker entertainment. Um, signed up to PokerStars. Um, Hold and- on a second. Can you, re- can you repeat that? Uh, sorry, you saw poker on TV <laughs> and then signed up to PokerStars? <laughs> We have it on tape. We have it on tape. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't, um, I didn't sort of think to uh, transfer over to online poker until, uh, until I, I come across the TV stuff. Huh. Well, I love the fact you went down the rabbit hole, the YouTube rabbit hole that people normally find themselves watching cat video after cat video, but you end up watching poker show after poker show. Um, I don't know how much you play these days, Tom, but as you know, there is a one hundred nine dollar Sunday Million ticket on the line. Um, there is also the Poker in the Ears t-shirt up for grabs. What I find interesting here is that, Joe, a few episodes back, you spouted off a few kind of ideas for specialist subjects. And, Tom, you just leapt in there. Joe just threw out Greek and Roman mythology and like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, so I've, I've been in touch on Twitter a few times sort of asking after um, some, some subjects, but they, do, they 
uh, already sort of gone. Um, I, I would have liked to have done Robocop, uh, the original, um, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I heard Joe sort of bring up Roman Greek mythology. Um, so yeah, I thought I'd try my luck. I feel like there's extra pressure on me because I have suggested this topic. Have you? What have you done to prepare? Um, I'm actually, um, this is a coincidence, uh, but I'm actually reading uh, Stephen Fry's Mythos, uh, which was released a couple of years ago. Um, it's kind of accessible mythology uh, with, with you know, Stephen Fry's humor kind of lit through it. But um, yeah, I've been reading that. Uh, but aside from that, it's, it's just kind of pub quiz knowledge. To be okay, so this quiz is a hybrid, which feels kind of appropriate for the subject we're discussing today. <laughs> uh, Patrick did most of the questions. I then added some bonuses. Ooh. I did actually do A-level classical civilization. So oh, it's a subject quite close to my heart. Um, I will say the main questions I think are quite good for pub quiz general knowledge. The bonuses are a bit tougher. Normal rules apply. If you can get the question without the bonus, two points. If you need the choices, it's one point. And you only get the bonus question if you get the main question right. Otherwise, the bonus goes to your opponent. Final thing to say, and this is a patrickism, and I salute our former intern for this. Questions one through five, Greek mythology. Questions 6 through 10, Roman mythology. So if you feel that you are stronger in one particular area, you can go for a higher number rather than a lower number. Got it. Okay. Do I have to, if I want one of the Roman mythology questions, do I have to ask for questions V through X? <laughs> First of all, it would be VI through X, but no, I will take it in the uh, in, in modern parlance. Uh, so Tom, you're up first. You're our super fan. You're our guest. Please give me a number between one and ten. Uh, I feel obliged to say number seven to start. Always with. coming seven. So this is a Roman question. Which Roman god is a personification of the sun? I think it's... Uh, I'm pretty confident it's Apollo. The answer is Sol. And that means that, Joe, you steal the bonus question here. What is the name of Sol's daughter? Sol's daughter. As I said, the bonus questions are tough. Mm, I do not know. Cersei. So, no score on the first question. And, Joe, you're up next. Anything other than number seven? I'll take question VI, please. Question number six. More Roman mythology. Who is the Roman goddess of love? The Roman goddess of love. I'm just talking out loud here. It's it's Venus. It is Venus for two points. <laughs> and that means you get the bonus question. Which Roman ruler claimed her as his ancestor? Um, let's go with... Augustus. It was Julius. Julius Caesar claimed he was a descendant of Venus. So it's a 2-0 lead after the first round. Don't worry, Tom. Still got four questions. Uh, anything other than six or seven? Uh, one, please. Question number one. We're going Greek. Who was <laughs> warned not to fly too close to the sun on wings of feather and wax? That was Icarus. It was Icarus for two points. And the bonus question... Name Icarus's father. 
he was the inventor Daedalus or Daedalus. It was Daedalus for wow. the bonus point. Inspiration for the young hero in James Joyce's novel, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. Uh, I'm getting sidetracked. Joseph. <laughs> James is just just wanking knowledge right now for everybody, showing off. I, I got to stick with the Romans, buddy. Just give me the next Roman question. Okay, that'll be question number eight then. Uh, the founders of Rome, Romulus and Remus, were yes. raised by what type of animal? Wolves. Correct, for two points. And your bonus question, what was the name of the cave that they lived in? I thought it was a hill. I don't remember. They founded Rome on the hill. I don't know the cave. The Lupercal. So, you have a one-point lead going into the third round, but Tom, it's your question. Uh, yeah, I think my Greek knowledge is, is stronger, so I'll go with number two. What is the name of the creature that grows two more heads if you cut off one of its existing heads? The Hydra? Hydra, for Hell two Hydra. points. Yeah, I was going to say, you only have to watch a Marvel movie to know that one. Um, <laughs> the bonus question, who killed the Hydra of Lerna? Um, I only know of one Hydra in Greek myth, and I think it's a part of the Jason the Argonauts. Um, so I'm going to say Jason. It was one of the 12 labors of Hercules. Joe, what question would you like? You are one point down, but there are three points on offer on this next question. Hmm. I would have known that Hercules won. I I'm, I'm going to continue with Rome. Okay, so question number nine then. Who wrote the Latin epic poem, The Aeneid? Virgil. Correct, for two points. And your bonus question. Virgil's tomb is located in a district of which Italian city? And your clue is, it's not Rome. All right, let's just go with Venice then. It was Naples. It's Afanabla. Six points to five. And Tom, your penultimate question, you can have three, four, five, or ten. Three, please. Question number three. Which Greek hero killed the Minotaur? Uh, uh, A reminder that there are multiple choice options yeah. available for the main questions. I'll take the multiple choice, please. Was it Achilles? Odysseus, Perseus, or Theseus? Perseus. It was Theseus, and that means, Joe, you get the bonus question. I how did Theseus... I had a 50-50 there with Perseus and Theseus, too, man. That was tough. Joe, how did Theseus escape the labyrinth? Uh, he, had, he had tied some string to lead his way. I'm going to give you half a point. It was his lover, Ariadne, who was holding the ball of string so he could retrace his steps. So the score right now is six and a half to five. Uh, and Joe, it's your question. Uh, four, five, or ten? Ten, ten is the please. last Roman question available. Yeah. Who is the Roman god of love? God of love. Eros. No, it's oh. Cupid. 
And that means, Tom, you get the bonus question. Who is Cupid's father? Um, is it uh, Jupiter? Close, Mercury. So, we come to the final round. Joe has a one and a half point advantage. Question four or question five, Tom? They are both about Greek mythology. Four, please. What is the name of the hunter who fell in love with his own reflection? Uh, that was Narcissus. Narcissus for two points means you now have a half point lead. The bonus question will give you a greater advantage. The bonus question, what dramatic step did some of his worshippers take to prove their devotion? I don't know. Sorry, I don't know. They killed themselves. They drowned themselves, well, I would have said, but maybe that's not the way. Um, I would have given you the point, Joe. But nice. you didn't get to steal the bonus, but you no. do get question number five. Who did Oedipus fall in love with? His mother. Correct. And the bonus question, what did he do when he found out that his wife was his mother? He... Killed his father. No, he blinded himself. Blinded. So much happiness and joy in the <laughs> Greek mythology. Uh, the final score. Tom, seven points. Joe, Fellini's eight and a half. Eight and a half is the hey. winning score. So sadly, Tom, can't give you the Sunday Million ticket, but we can give you a T-shirt from the Poker in the Ears range. We'll be in touch to get your choice and your size. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. Amazing. Thank you so much. I've had lots of fun. Thank you. And Tom, if you have a website, tweet it to me because I'd like to check out your stuff. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Cheers, Joe. Cool. All right, my babies, we're almost out of time for this week's show. Coming up next week, EPT Retro will have finished, but EPT Online will be underway. Uh, we got a super fan coming up named Alex Gray challenging me to the subject of the UK office. I will, it's not a lot of episodes to get through. It's not. But some of them are kind of painful. It's really cringe-inducing. It's interesting because I spotted it was on Netflix recently, and so I started re-watching it from the beginning. It's actually really tough, really tough to stick with it because it's that's how good it is. It's just too close to the bone. Yeah, it's, it's really, really good. And I think, you know, when it was, it's, when it was a thing, there had been nothing like it ever before. And now that there's been so much derivative stuff, I think that initial enjoyment probably, I don't think I'll enjoy it as much on a second viewing or third viewing, I think probably is what it'll be. Um, Now, is it going to include the Christmas special? Oh, that's a good question. I guess all of it. Yeah. So that's two seasons. So that's 12 episodes plus the Christmas special. I don't know what the deal is in the US, but they are all on Netflix in the UK. Uh, I was just going to say, Joe, that on the subject of superfans, I know I'm sounding like a broken record here, but we are still accepting applications for this year and for 2021 for when we return after the Christmas New Year break. So hashtag poker in the ears on Twitter. 
Let us know your preferred specialist subject. Don't worry if you suggest something that's gone already. We will be in touch and just offer some alternatives or ask you to just take a punt. Um, But yes, we want you to volunteer to come on the show and have as much fun as Tom Quinlan had, even though he lost. Yeah, and look look how great it was doing something that wasn't uh, pop culture, right? That was kind of fun doing. I mean, it's not exactly history, but, um, you know, a fun little alternative subject today. So don't be afraid to get in there and, uh, you know, I don't, it's kind of grim, but I don't know, maybe World War Two. I don't, just anything that sort of, uh, you know, that falls into trivia does not have to be movies, TV show, music, that kind of thing. Uh, that's it, my babies. That's all the time we've got for this week's show. Don't forget to comment, like, subscribe, give us some clicks. Make sure we keep the, uh, the ship going here on Poker in the Ears. That is the name of it, right? I almost Poker said EPT, well not done. live. Um, anyway, that is all the time we it, got. For- it's only been like four years, but you know, in, in Joe's world, that's... It, that mean, look, it's the blink of an eye. Who knows? This is all a simulation anyway. That's it. We're out of time. For James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Spell you later. Spell you later.